Hello. Hey, man. How are you doing? Doing great. How about you? Yeah, yeah. Doing okay. So, um, I brought you on to talk about a very exciting topic that a lot of people are desperate to hear, and that's insurance. <laughs> and uh, still very exciting, right? <laughs> it is. It is really exciting. Absolutely. And um, possibly also following that some some contract law. Okay. So we're going to get into the the nitty gritty of uh, free markets here and how um, free market solutions to replace government regulation and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But this is more the what well, the rubber meets the road kind of discussion. Hopefully, e- even okay. broadly, but it's it's more the more technical side of it. Are we ready? Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So tell me about how insurance, let's say business insurance, uh, affects mm-hmm. the market. Uh, generally, the way that I, I like to start when talking to people about insurance, the way that I personally see it, and just for so people know that I have a little bit of credential when it comes to this, I've been working in insurance for the last over like four years. I worked as an insurance agent in the healthcare field, the life insurance field, property and casualty now. I've been, you know, business insurance, uh, you know, all, all types of insurance I've been doing for the last four years. So I know the topic pretty well. We have an um, expert on the show. We don't skimp on, on experts here. We go straight <laughs> to the source. Go ahead. Listen, I, I don't have 10 years of experience, but, you know, four is more than no, More than adequate for us. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, the one of the things that I don't know if you've ever noticed is that one of the most regulated industries in the in the in the market is always insurance. My personal hypothesis for this is that I, I think that intrinsically, government actors see insurance as a threat to their job because insurance is the market solution to replacing a lot of actions that are done by the government. In my opinion, almost all of them, if Preach. not all. For example, so one thing that people um, like to bring up, right, is let's say the idea of, oh, if businesses are not regulated by the state, uh, we would have unscrupulous capitalists that will have very risky businesses where people can get hurt, so on and so on and so on, right? First of all, even without insurance, this is not a profitable idea. Why? Because one, if a worker of yours gets hurt, even if he cannot sue you, this is not profitable because now you have to, one, either hire a new worker and pay for all the training. So you'll be, if you have a very risky business, you have an incentive to make the business safer. So your workers are not going off all the time, right? Like every training a worker, it's not profitable at least for the time that is being trained because he doesn't really know what he's doing. You know, it takes a little bit of time for a worker to become uh, profitable for the business. So even without insurance, even without contract law, even without the possibility of an employee to sue his employer, while if he gets injured during the job, it's still not a profitable idea to do, right? But now when you add Mm -hmm. in all this extra stuff, it, it becomes something that it's like, the business has, if the market is free and insurance companies are actually allowed to do their job, which is manage risk and charge people for risk, 
they will be able to do this. For example, a job that is way too risky will either need to have a specific contract clause, right? Where the worker pretty much, you know, rejects all rights to sue within that, right? And this will get the business a bad reputation amongst other workers. So he will struggle to find workers. The smart decision, if you're a business owner that you're thinking in the long term, is to take care of your workers because you want them to stay there longer. Because if they stay there longer, then you don't have to go through all the, you know, the turnover rate. Turnover rate is very, very expensive. The, you know, and the more, um, the higher end the business you're working, the more, you know, the exp exponential the cost becomes, right? Can I, um, can I ask though, but just, just in general, like if, if we're talking about workers on the job, if workers get injured on the job, they will tend to, um, sue the company. Yes. And even if they win or lose, like the, the, the prospect of going through a, through a costly litigation, that's a cost mm -hmm. in and of itself. And yes. you know, no, no one wants anyone to actually get hurt. Like it's not, it's not beneficial to anyone. Yes. Um, but in terms of the insurance company, that risk of, of, of being sued, that the business will be sued, sorry, they will then, I assume, um, in, say, no, you have to put these safety measures here or, you have, or, or you'll pay a much, much higher uh, business insurance. Oh, well, so let's look at it like this, right? So there are certain types of jobs that certain insurance companies, they don't even want to touch. For example, if you own a business, that your business model, right, is to clean windows. Most insurance co companies, if you're going above the first floor, they don't want to deal with you. So what, what ends up happening is that if you're in that kind of business and you want to insure your business because you don't want to get sued and lose your business, you end up paying a hefty amount of money for this protection. And the reason this, is, this happens is because, well, you're doing a risky job the insurance company is, well, listen, if you're going to be doing that risky job, um, you are going to have to um, pay this heavier amount because doing a risky job. Now, the way that I think this could work in, in the rest of society, I, this isn't really allowed to happen because of government regulation already doing the job for the insurance company. It's the way that it happens in car, car insurance. So I don't know if this happens in the UK, but here in, in the US, uh, certain car insurance companies, they have an app that you get on your phone. And if you have this app on your phone and you're a safe driver, and well, your insurance rate will go down because you're less of a risk to be a crazy driver. Now, the reason this is important is because that right there is a way that the insurance company it's monitoring you to find out how risky you are of a, of a, of a customer. And that's what the job of insurance is managing and calculating risk. Okay. This all, that is exactly what they can do in business. They can do that in property. They, they can do that in pretty much aspects of societies. Certain areas are more expensive and certain areas are, don't really make sense for insurance, but generally that's what it, how it works. Okay, so if you if you run like a company that's doing dangerous things or potentially dangerous things, and your insurance will be more expensive, mm -hmm. and as a result, it will 
incentivize you, I assume, to try to reduce that that cost. And 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 by the way, for those who who may not know, insurance can be very very expensive. I know that. Yes. Um, I know that a colleague of mine wanted to insure doing business um, with North America. It was middle middle five figures just to get a yearly insurance mm-hmm. for his yeah, company. It, it's, a, it's expensive. And there are ways that obviously uh, it becomes more expensive because of all the regulations that state uh, imposes on insurance. And because okay. also the state is already monopolizing a lot of the functions that insurance companies can do and will do if, if they could do it, you know, like regulations. Okay, but assuming we didn't have regulations, would the insurance companies um, be able to handle some of that or would it be a combination of insurance companies well, and something else? Or Yeah, so I, I think, right, and by the way, insurance companies already do this kind of things, right? Uh, in the insurance world, they're known as um, moral clauses. So a moral clause is a, it's basically a moral rule that the insurance companies doesn't have to be a moral rule. It could be a rule that the ins- a legal rule that the insurance company puts in the country, right? So let's look at life life insurance, which is where they're the most common, right? When you buy a life insurance policy, uh, generally. If you happen to buy the insurance policy and you kill yourself, let's say, in a year sometimes, sometimes it's five years, depending on the company. Well, but intentionally let's say you, or not you, intentionally? Let's say you commit suicide. So like, you kill okay. yourself. You're off yourself. Self-delete. Don't do it. But somebody well, were to do it. Can I ask well, where is this conversation going? No, no. So uh, certain insurance companies, they have a clause on the right. contract that if you happen to do this, they are not going to... Um, Oh, I see. They're not going to pay out the 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 benefit. And okay. now that what does that mean, right? That if you buy an insurance policy, life insurance policy, for the time that you're that you have that moral clause, well, you're probably less likely to kill yourself because well, if you bought the policy because you want your family to get some money, but mm-hmm. if you kill yourself, your family's not gonna get that money. So you either stop having the policy or you don't kill yourself. So we have a solution to end suicide right here and now. Using I mean, we have insurance. a way to disincentivize it. By the way, disincentivize. The okay. Okay. By the way, insurance companies are restricted on how long they can use that clause. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure if it's in every state, but I know there are certain states that, um, that they cannot do it for like the rest of the contract. Like, oh, they cannot make it. So if you kill yourself at any point during the contract, they don't pay the benefit. I think there are regulations on that. Which is kind of disgusting. Well, speaking about that, then what is to stop business, uh, sorry, insurance companies from being disgusting? What if they choose not to pay out or something like that? Well, so are we assuming like this? Are we talking about like an anarchist society, or are we talking in a government? Just, society? just now, just now. Uh, okay. Sorry, like so, sorry, not sorry. That's uh, not what I mean. Uh, assuming there's no regulation, what would stop? Uh, insurance companies just not paying out and not doing anything they feel like. They'll be taken to court, I assume, or? Well, two things, right? If you, so there's many ways that internally uh, the insurance agents themselves regulate the, the companies. For example, there are companies, and I cannot name the name because I could get into legal trouble. We're not, we're not asking not... you to name any names, it's fine. No, just no, in general. Yeah. 
yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm just I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> um, but there are companies, right? That if you that I I work for a broker, like an insurance broker, and we don't hold those companies because when something happens, they don't want to pay, and it's a freaking trouble to get them to pay. So what is it that we end up doing? We're like, well, we don't deal with those guys because they don't pay fast enough. So, oh, so that reputation right there, in the market then. Exactly. So they have a bad reputation in the market with customers, but they also have a bad reputation in the market with us, the agents. And since we also want to keep a good reputation, we don't work with them because then the agent, the customer buys a policy from me, right? And then I'm supposed to be representing him as his advisor, right? And then I advise him to go with a bad company. Then he's going to be like, dude, why are you recommending me bad companies? And he's not going to come back to me. So I right there have an incentive to only recommend him companies that I know are going to do a good job at paying him. Okay, and that's, that's what I have to do because like, I can't, like, I'm not going through that trouble. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's too hard. It is too much of a headache. I don't want to have to be like the one it's like, Hey, listen, man, the company that I recommended you, they're actually really bad at paying. Like, you know, it's not, it's not good. Um, tell me in general, um, how would insurance companies kind of regulate day-to-day -day business activity? So let's say uh, right now there's something you can do in a business, but this would be illegal. This would be, uh, well, let's, let's put illegal to one side. This, this would be a regulation. You can't do this, but assuming there isn't one, and let's say this is sort of risky behavior, either risky in terms of uh, hurting people, or, uh, customers, let's say, or risk in terms of... Um, uh, I don't know, getting sued, how would, uh, in a day-to-day -day activity, how would insurance companies do something about that? Or do they just say, we evaluated you, this is how much uh, the insurance will cost mm -hmm. on a yearly level, and you're free to do whatever as long as you aren't, you know, you don't need to, to call us for any reason. Well, so I already mentioned one way that they currently do, right? And that, but just, just have to keep in mind, right, that, Depending on how risky the activities, it's how likely they are to um to um to regulate it, right? So another thing that currently insurance agents are not allowed to charge money for their service, right? So at least in in my state, right? Um, so one of the reasons that this could be bad, uh, I personally don't really need to because I get paid well enough already, but um. So let's say, let's put it this way, right? So an insurance company could do it, could do something, for example, of, um, let's say the example of a, instead of a suicide, right? Which is something that they already do where they don't pay the benefit to your family if you kill yourself. Uh, they also have a clause currently, generally insurance companies, if you die or you get hurt while you were doing uh, feeding sharks, for example, uh, they don't pay the benefit either because you were purposely putting yourself in, in a high risk situation, so they're like, no, nah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna pay for that, you know. So they, the agents has to explain that to the customer. Now, in a free market, uh, it would be possible because it currently isn't that the insurance company could make a contract with the customer where they say, listen, uh, we're going to insure you whatever you do, but if you do, if you go swim with sharks, uh, not only are we not gonna pay you for your damage, but you also have to pay us one thousand dollars 
So that oh. right there is an economic incentive that people are like, oh, if I go swim with sharks, I'm going to have to pay them money. The so only, they could make only contracts people, like that. Only rich people will swim with sharks. I mean, why shouldn't it? You know, like that's a very risky thing that, hey, listen, in my opinion, not even risky people should be doing. That's, that's insane. But uh, if you want to uh, pay all of the risk of that, go ahead. Okay, let's, it, let, me, you know? let me do it a different way, right? Let's say a company wants to release a product Mm -hmm. And there's some risk to consumers with this product. It's not, it's not intentional, but there isn't a zero risk. There's some risk. Mm -hmm. Would that, and this is just in general, would a, would a business um, ask the insurance company to advise it on, on this uh, release of this new product? Well, so uh, that is... That I, would be, I realize that would... these are hard questions and not typically... Stuff no, no, no. As, as an insurance salesman would know, but I'm just trying to guess. No, no, my way. it's fine. Hey, listen, if there's something that I don't know, I will say I don't know that. That I can find out, and next time we speak, I can let you know. Uh, but okay. actually, so that is something that falls on the part of insurance that is known as liability insurance. Uh, liability insurance is the part of insurance that covers you when you're liable for a certain damage, right? So, okay. Uh, that is another way, right? When earlier on, when I was talking about workers, I was talking about workers' compensation insurance. Uh, liability insurance uh, goes into areas where, for example, oh, this is a good example. So pressure washing businesses, right? Uh, generally, people say, well, you, if starting a pressure washing business is actually not that hard. You buy a pressure washer and you go pressure wash people's houses, right? However, mm-hmm. there is a little thing there that a lot of people miss insurance for a pressure washing business can be really expensive depending on what is it that you do for example if you're doing pressure washing and you're only doing walls not that expensive there's not a lot of things you can damage now the moment you're doing a pressure washing business and you're going to be going on cleaning roofs with a pressure washer becomes really really expensive and a lot of companies don't even want to insure you why well, if you're doing a pressure washing you or and you're cleaning a business with shingles as, as the roof, well, the roof can break. And now the insurance company has to pay that money, right? Uh, if you have, it's a roof that has tiles, oh, well, the, pay, the pressure of the pressure washer could send, send one of the tiles flying and hit somebody on the head or break somebody else's property. So that right there makes it so only people that can afford the risk of doing this are likely to be going on the business not only that but if you're if you're the insurance company you don't want somebody that's say like a newbie or somebody that's new in the business that being the one that you're insuring because why would you you know you're increasing increasing your own chance of mm-hmm. getting sued and having to pay money the job of the job of the insurance company is to find somebody that mm, it's Let's put it this way. Find a group of people that insuring them all together, they're going to pay you, let's say, $100, right? And then when you do all your operations, all your paying, all your employees, all those stuff, you might be able to keep for yourself, I don't know, $90, $10, you know? Because that whole pool of people, they pay for the risk of, hey, listen, we're doing something risky, and if this happens, I'm probably not going to have the cash ready for this 
But if I do get sued, I'd rather you guys pay it. So they're paying for that protection. They're paying for protection of risk. I see. What if I really, really want to clean, to pressure wash roofs, and I develop a machine mm-hmm. that does it really safely and efficiently? Can I go to the insurance company and say, look, I, I know that typically it's a very dangerous thing, and I, I accept that, but that I've is, developed a better way. That is one question. Don't have an answer. I don't work in... Uh, so that part right there, that's what's known as the, the underwriting part of the insurance. I haven't worked in okay. that area yet. Uh, but it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, sure. And then even if you, maybe like, even if at first you're not like doing it, it's possible that if your technology becomes available throughout the market enough, the cost of insurance for people that do pressure washing could go down because, you know, now it's less risky because of your invention. Oh. Would 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 uh, high insurance cost incentivize certain innovations? Uh yes, obviously. Like people have an incentive to save money on insurance, so they have an incentive to make their job safer because they don't want to waste the money on insurance. They rather invest that into making their business more efficient or that kind of stuff. Okay. Is there a dark side to big insurance? Can big insurance bully people? Can they take advantage of people? Is there something we should worry about if the market was unregulated? Could they do it? Yes. Is it likely that they will? No. I personally, this is the reason that I'm pro-free market. Uh, I have a tendency to believe that most business owners are in the business of solving problems. I think okay. that b- businesses get paid to solve a problem, right? Like if I have something that I want and, and somebody else is providing it, I paid that person for that thing that I want. And if somebody is out there causing problems, I wouldn't want to hire that person. You know, I don't, maybe I am too self-conscious about the way that I engage in the market. But um, I, I, don't, I don't think people generally go to a business that they're going, they know they're not going to get it, something out of it. You know? Generally, what, the way that I see it, unless, you know, excluding fl- fraud or any kind of, um, you know, crime of theft or murder or that kind of stuff, I think people engage in voluntary inter- like exchanges because they, they see that they're going to benefit from it. Okay. Um, what about if a business does something that upsets its neighbors? So let's say, um, well, let's say uh, pollutes uh, in, into a river. And mm-hmm. I suppose this isn't necessarily business. This isn't necessarily insurance. It could be more property rights issue than True. insurance but uh, would insurance companies do anything about that or not necessarily uh well they would be the ones covering the liability right so like if you have a business like let's say we live in a society with full pro- uh like currently the way it is right and you're a polluter right and the, we have a proper working legal system where if you're a polluter you get sued and you have to pay for this the insurance companies are going to be the ones paying for that because that falls under 
liability part, right? Liability covers you, covers the, the business when he does damage to a third party, right? To another party or to a customer or that, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, they have an incentive, like insurance companies have an incentive to go and say, like, dude, if you're going to be polluting a lot, you're going to have to pay us this amount of money. And at a certain point, uh, because keep in mind, right, when the business pays the insurance company, there is a little bit of money they're losing because they're paying the insurance company to, to make a profit, right? Mm-hmm. So, 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 go on. Sorry, go ahead. So, what I, no, what I was going to say is that the business has an incentive to be like, I'm better off trying to, if I can reduce the risk and I don't have to pay them, like, you know, let's say that the risk is, it, it could cost you $5 a month to fix it, right? Let's say like $5 a month over 10 years to fix it, right? Let's say it's like, I don't know, uh, $600 to fix it, right? And if you spend, invest this $600 on, on your policy, on, on your business, it wouldn't reduce your insurance premiums by, let's say, $10 a month, right? Well, then not right there, you have an incentive to spend those $5 in making the business safer because it would save you money for the business. Now you're saving $5 that you can use into something else, you know? Hmm. Would, uh, would insurance companies tell owners that if you do this, your insurance will, your insurance premium will go down? Yeah, well, I mean, they currently do, right? So think about your car insurance, right? If you have a ticket in the last three years, right? Uh, at least in the United States, uh, the insurance company charges you more, right? And I don't know what, how it is when you go to like a captive advisor, which are the people that work for one specific company. But for example, when people come to me and since I'm, you know, I work for a broker and they say, oh, what can I do to make my insurance cheaper? And I'm like, well... Don't get any more tickets. <laughs> if you get a ticket, uh, your insurance is going to go up again. Or if oh, really? You're... Oh, yeah. If you get a ticket, your insurance can go up, especially depending on the kind of um, graphic ticket that you get. <laughs> That's funny. Did you just get a ticket? <laughs> no, no, I didn't get a ticket. Well, no, uh, I haven't gotten a ticket in... Have I gotten a ticket? Maybe years or decades. But it's just funny <laughs> that... Uh, but it's kind of funny that insurance kind of encourages you to be like a good citizen... Don't yes. <laughs> risk anything. Don't don't get sued. Like you know, just just play it safe. Well, well, just... think about it. This is the way that I like to explain it. Right? It's it's a voluntary fee. When you wanna buy the insurance, if you're being a crazy citizen, they're going to charge you for it. Right? I see. Yeah, and the, those fees are. Just, just for the business side, it's it's just insane. Sometimes it's really, and, really and high. Let, let me tell you something. They can be high. Yeah, <laughs> they I, can I, be very high. I'm still trying to figure out like how to how to help my co- my friend that has like a five figure insurance liability insurance to do to do business with America. Um, not even it's Listen, not even like a risk thing. It's just it's just like, well, it's anyway. Don't wanna, but don't... look that right there right see you see your friend is trying to get into this kind of business right mm-hmm. but the insurance is so high to get into it that yeah, the it's market restricted. itself yeah. yeah the market is itself is regulating your friend out of it because it's too risky so your friend is like well i don't want to incur that risk so i'm not going to do it until i can manage that risk so i and so that right there makes it so well he becomes a safer 
like a safer safer business because right now he can't afford the risk or you know well, he would be able to it's it's not it's not necessarily the change of his behavior in this particular instance um i remember it was something like that uh, the american company wanted a very very high liability insurance Uh, so he was going to fix But, something on their on their like uh, system, mm -hmm. and they're like, "Well, if you break anything, we want you to have this much liability insurance." And he spoke to the insurance company. He's like, "Well, it's going to cost like more than the value of the of the of the money that they would give you to give okay. you this much liability insurance." So he didn't go through with the with the work. Okay, this is where I go into. Do you know the term? You're familiar with the term market failure, right? I am. <laughs> go on. Okay, but go on. Uh, ignore the name because I know you get really mad about it. Okay. Yeah. So generally, people get like libertarians get really mad about the market failure because people think, well, it's a market failure means the market is failing. And it's like, uh, no, market failure is a, one of those terms that people named it and it doesn't really mean what is what the name, what the words are. Market failure is, um, it's a, it's, it's a, Let's put it this way, right? It's a, it's a, it's a term that describes a certain economic moment where one actor makes a decision that, in the short term, is profitable for him, but in the long term, it's not profitable for the group, right? So, if you're a rational, really, completely rational actor, and you're taking long-term problems into consideration, the reason that your friend is having to pay a lot of money for this kind of insurance because there have been riskier actors before him that have that have acted and that's what the oh, reason okay. that insurance is so high in that area now the market right there it's regulating itself because they're saying well if people are going to be risky doing this well we're going to charge a lot of money for to protect it interesting so it has to be it's it a has way, to be them though it, it it was them that were were asking for this much liability insurance so maybe yeah, they'll they've just had bad cautious. experiences in the yeah. before probably yeah Well, he couldn't do the work either way. It was just no. It was it was less. The insurance would cost more than the money he was going to get. So. Yeah, listen. Uh, people don't really like insurance companies. I get it, but in my opinion, they're a way better alternative than the government. Sure. I mean, it was a requirement anyway. So, I mean, I mean, if I don't know, I mean, I guess I'm not sure why the insurance was so high, but. Whatever. Let's um. Let's uh, and, move. And, and to be honest, I probably couldn't tell you either because the way that is so that's part that part of insurance. It's it's known as um. It's a it's literally a type of study. Like people go to university for this. It's okay. known as actuarial science. A C T U R I A L. And mm -hmm. it's a very very well paid mathematical career. A lot of people that study math actually get into this, and is these are pretty much the people. That work for the insurance company and they do a lot of math to try to find out risk. Like they're the ones calculating all the risk. Speaking speaking of calculating risk, um, before I move on to the next next topic, I I would like to ask, with with regards to the environment and all mm -hmm. the considerations for the future of the environment and what we need to do now, and there was the recent uh, IPCC report. Why? Isn't there more people who evaluate risk involved in the process? It seems like it's very one-sided information. No, we have to do it. It's like no, I, 
but I haven't seen anyone from the risk sides. Let's say, for example, uh, you get rising sea levels. So I would imagine the insurance side would be like, well, if, if you want to insure a property that's very close to the sea, or the, or the sorry, the, the beach <laughs> or something like that, then the insurance would be more expensive because they're evaluating risk in a sense. But I, I don't see... I don't see any of that happening. I don't see like in sh- like risk assessment being done from the IPCC report. It's very much just you just have to do it and don't complain. Just or, or shut up basically. Why isn't there more risk assessment? The state. That is the yeah. short answer. Um, think about it this way. What happens when we have a hur- hurricane, right? Let's say we have a hur- hurricane uh, in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, who ends up fixing the damages? That aren't covered by insurance companies. That are not co- I, I assume the state or people who are insured. I don't know. So generally, so something happened, and you probably if somebody's listening to this, they can look up Peter Schiff. I don't know if you're from. Do you know who Peter Schiff is? I do know who Peter Schiff is. Yes. Okay, so Peter Schiff actually had a one time that he went to Congress back when he lived here in the states before he moved to Puerto Rico. Uh because he went to Congress because it was a moment that the federal government was paying to fix the damages that happened in another state, right? And he was there sitting like, why am I a citizen in this area where hurricanes never happen? Why am I being forced to pay for people to live, I don't know, let's say in Miami, you know, because that's basically what's happening, right? When the government goes and fixes properties in Miami, like in South Beach, Miami, very expensive properties, mm-hmm. they're technically forcing the guy in Louisiana or the guy in uh, Ohio or anywhere, so any of those places, the risk living in a less risky place, well, they're forced to be part of the pool where they pay for people that take risky behavior. I, I assume that if like an insurance company, if sorry, before even the houses were built, let's say in a risky area for for sea level rises or or whatnot, and the developer w- w- approached the insurance company, and says, "Is this a good place to build houses?" No, if 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 you build houses there, the insurance for the people there would be very very high, and it may not it may increase the overall cost for buying a house plus the insurance, um, so they uh, may build somewhere else. Yes, so that that happens. Um, by the way, you mentioned earlier. I just remember another way. So you mentioned we were talking earlier about um, ways that um, insurance companies regulate the market and regulate properties, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the home insurance market, right? Uh, for example, here in Florida, it's a very risky. And once again, keep in mind they're not allowed to be as as strong on with their disincentives because the state does a lot of things, right? So. I'll, I'll say what they currently do, and I say another reason that they cannot really do a lot. So, if you have currently a property that with a roof that's over the age of 15 years old, uh, most companies don't want to insure you. And if your bank is asking you to in, get into home insurance, uh, you have to fix the roof. Just to get insurance? Just to get insurance, yes. So that right there is, hey, the, the bank is like, yo, we lent you this money. You got to pay it to us. Why you own the loan? Why you got the loan? 
uh, you have to buy home insurance. And then you go buy home insurance and the insurance company oh. is like, oh, the roof is too old. We're not going to insure you. You got to fix the roof. So now you got to go and that's the insurance company regulating you and telling you to go fix your damn roof because if that thing flies away, it's going to hurt your neighbor's property and they don't want to go through that risk. So just because the roof is 15 years old or is there a reason for it? Uh, well, that's like the blanket thing. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of regulations on it and certain things, are n they're not allowed to like... They, like they cannot be... Uh, they cannot be like too into detail because of the regulations, right? Uh, another thing, and this is what I was going to say, right? That no, is no, another hold on, way... I, I, want, I want to understand why is someone telling me to fix my roof or they won't give me insurance and, and I have to get insurance to, for the mortgage. Why is this chain of events happening? Uh, well, you not, not that I loan. live in Florida, but I just wanted to know. Yeah, so let's say you bought, you bought a house, right? Yeah. In order to buy the house, you took a loan, right? No, I, I understand the process, but why do I have to fix the roof? Uh, because the bank is saying if you don't put a roof in this house, they're going to force an insurance on you because or when if you it sign doesn't the, have a roof. No, so if you have when you have when you get into a, a mortgage contract, yes, you agree that's pre, pre like it's something you agree that you're going to have home insurance on the house. I understand. I understand. Have. I understand okay. that bit. But let's say I have a roof on the house, mm -hmm. but is does it not meet a particular standard, or is it? Only if I yes. don't have any roof. So it has to meet a particular so standard. If, it has if to meet 15, a particular standard. Yes. If it's 15 years old and, oh, sorry, if it's over 15 years old, but it meets this standard, can I not pay anymore? Uh, yeah, well, generally, uh, if you have a roof that is made of tile or shingles, it won't meet the standard. And the insurance company is not even going to send a, like a property uh, property inspector to, do, to send it doing the inspection because it's just not worth it for them. Okay. Uh, but if you have a metal roof, um, they will do it sometimes 20, sometimes 25, depending on the company. So, so, the, so that, the right, there is another way that it's, oh, well, you want to save money on insurance, well, you need to get a better roof. So the problem is that if the shingles fly away and, and, and decapitate someone, then the insurance companies don't want to deal with that. Exactly. Interesting. So this is like and an area the older of high, the shingles, high wind or something. The, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, because it's Florida, right? So we are... Excuse me for hurricanes. being foreign. I, <laughs> no, no, I don't so, know the no, local... No, no, my bad, my bad. Yeah, it's, you're right. Well, Florida, it's, a, it's in, the, in an area where hurricanes pretty much happen every year. Okay. So it's very oh, risky okay. to insure property here because of the wind. But I assume the government, like, makes it easier. Uh... The government subsidizes home insurance here a lot. There's actually a, a company that is owned by the state of Florida known as Citizens. Um, Citizens, it's a government-owned company. And when Amos, no insurance company, wants to take your proper, your insurance, Citizens is probably the one that's going to take you. Okay. Even Citizens has their own requirements of companies that they don't want, like houses that they, don't, they won't take. Uh, and there are ways that, hey, you know, in order, you know, there are regulations around it that they won't take everybody. But when nobody will take you, then the state goes and takes over your insurance. Okay, and let me. The reason that's not good is because, well, it's subsidizing risk. people to live in a more risky area. Yes. It's uh, creating a moral hazard. I assume that's the right word. Say that again. 
is it creating a moral hazard or is that not the right context mm, i mean probably not i don't know if let's, I don't let's know, no, let I don't me ask that's a moral hazard okay let me ask a different question um if insurance is so expensive for citizens of florida because of high winds is there an incentive for assuming there isn't a government and there isn't regulation oh sorry assuming there isn't government regulation uh would it be beneficial for the people of florida to gather to gather together and and put some sort of wind or hurricane retardants let's say out, out at sea some sort of walls or some sort of thing that that slow down wind i'm just imagining here that slow down wind even though it's expensive but as a result it reduces the risk and uh the insurance companies are willing to insure it at a better rate um it's it's possible uh i don't know if that would be profitable and they would do it but i mean it's possible um, well also to them like it's it's a big deal if hurricanes like te- tears your house apart so so let's let's yeah, look at it let's I look mean, at it yeah like ways. i said i i don't i don't know I, like they, could they do it yes I, would it be profitable i don't know i don't know how expensive it would be to make a device like that. sure let's look a different way let's say the sea levels are going to rise and the people in florida are going to go under i know where you're going with this go on so will <laughs> there be an incentive to build a, a dike to stop the water just like they do in in the netherlands yeah there's an incentive for it okay so they would have like 10 more minutes in case you want to get into like contract law or something let's get into contract law then okay so but yeah by the way yes they do have an incentive like that's something that uh generally when people say oh climate science and stuff like that i'm like i don't know man it's kind of weird that insurance companies are not taking that into consideration you know they should be though yes but here's the question right if the science is settled why are they not taking it you know that kind of makes me think that maybe the science is not as settled as people are pretending it is you know okay cool let's uh let's move ahead to contract law because we're low on time so i i wanted to give an example in the uk and tell me and this is how i want to like understand about contract law in general so basically uh contract law is it's an interesting interesting area that not a lot of people know about but in the context of property rights um, you can have a situation for example where um, a developer wants to build two properties on two different lands but one land encircles the other land so the developer says i'm going to build a, a road through the through the property or through the land of one of the of the houses i'm building in to to be able to access the other property and i'm going to put when they buy a house i'm going to put in the contract that they have that they know that this road exists and they can't destroy they can't block it for the other person they have to respect the fact that that person needs access to their property and whoever buys the house and buys the house in the future has to respect that in the contract is that uh, accurate uh yes so that that is what's known in real estate law that is known as a an eastman right so an easement right is uh, a right that one property owner has over somebody else's property, right? Uh, there's all kinds of easement rights. So um, when you, uh, that one that you mentioned is one, uh, there are ways. So if you buy a house 
that is behind like if the government well not the government even without the government this used to happen back in british common law where there were no zoning laws uh so if you bought a like if you homesteaded an area and the only way for you to get out of that area was to go through your neighbor's property uh you could go to court and then the court would grant you an easement right and and then you would have the right to he would have to make certain accommodations to let you go over his property so you could leave because if he doesn't let you then that then he would be doing something that is known as entrapment and entrapment is basically you being kidnapped because you know your freedom of movement is not being respected okay let me ask another By the way, I'm not a legal advisor, just I'm only talking about There are no financial or legal advice on this show. Please, yes, please nothing. note this. <laughs> we are not taking any recommendation or advising in any way, shape, or form. Yes. Please read the no, fine no, print. No advice. <laughs> okay. How about this? So this this is something that came up in I think I think it's a pretty stupid advice, but I, I sorry, I think it's a pretty stupid example. But mm -hmm. I was tired at the time. Uh so a a, a town uh, so someone built a bridge or a town is in a remote part and they built a bridge and then the people of the town use this bridge to get back and forth between two cities. And then someone bought the bridge and, and hiked up the prices. So I, at the time I was too tired to really answer this, but I think the option here is that there could be a contract between the, the person who owned the bridge before and the townspeople saying, look, you need to give us some sort of... Um, assurances that if we start to build a town here and we start building houses you're not going to jack up the price because it's a like a main line to to this city yes so i i think i think people normally would i just couldn't imagine it at the time i think people would normally ask for those insurances you could say look you can't raise the price more than x percent per year and uh it has to follow like some kind of agreement because otherwise they would just you know even if they do raise the price and and they and they forgot to 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 ask for those assurances in, in the form of a contract, then at some point the city can just die down and people will move away uh, because it's just too difficult to cross this bridge that's too expensive to the outside world, let's say. Uh, I mean, yes, generally people would just get into an Eastman, like get an Eastman right with the, with the br current bridge owner, right, before he sells it. And when, when he transferred the title, the mm -hmm. title is transferred with the Eastman right because, um, you know, that's part of the agreed contract that the property has. Uh, if the new bridge owner doesn't want to respect the Eastman title, he would have two options. He would have some options. One would be that he would have to tell the, um, tell the, you know, current bridge owner, there's, this is known as a cloud on title. A cloud on title is something where pretty much the, one of the parties is like, yeah, I don't want to buy this because, you know, it's like, there's something weird here. I don't want it. And if that was the case and the owner doesn't, the new owner is not going to buy the bridge because of that, the current owner has two, two, you know, two options. One, he would have to go to the villagers and tell them, hey, listen, I'm going to sell the bridge and the new guy doesn't want it. How much do you guys want? for money so you guys don't have a claim on the, against the bridge anymore so you would have to offer them money so they don't so they give up their eastman right mm. so negotiate yeah he would have to negotiate okay because they have a claim to his to that property right 
Okay, and how and how about in in a different scenario, someone um, signed the contract, but it was didn't read the fine print. The contract was abusive and 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 bad, and he signed the contract that his childrens will be children will be slaves for four generations after him. What uh, mm-hmm. what can someone do in that circumstance? Well, let's not even talk about the children one because that would get into like a lot of like okay, little not- stuff about. Right, so I, I was just throwing that in but, there as a bad as a bad example, but continue. Yeah, yeah, no. But what you're talking about is it's what's known as a, an unconscionable contract. So an unconscionable tr- contract is pretty much a contract where you agree to it, quote unquote, but you didn't really agree on it because you didn't really understand the terms of the contract. So the other party doesn't really have a a right to hold you liable because you didn't really agree. You know, like even though it's on paper and you sign it. Well, you didn't really agree to it. You know what I mean? Like, it, well, just... give me an example then. So I think that the whole thing started because there was a, like a a part. The reason that this current like this type of law uh, was created was because there was like a, uh, I think there was like a pawn shop that was, I don't remember that word, but I think it was a pawn shop that took advantage of like a Hispanic Hispanic lady, and they made her sign a contract where. The contract, the loan was pretty much doubling itself every year. And she didn't really know that's how it worked uh, because they didn't really explain it to her. And some people will say, well, it's her responsibility to read the contract. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, but it's also the responsibility of the other side to explain the contract and make sure that both parties understand, right? In order for the contract to be valid, right, both parties need to understand what they're agreeing to. Like, if you well, don't understand what you're agreeing to, then you're not agreeing to it, you know? So what if um, I just renege on all my contracts that actually I didn't understand what I was saying and I owe you no, no money? How can... So on the flip side, how do, how do you avoid people like being abusing this law? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that would always be a possibility. I mean, the, the, the thing is that person that is claiming that, hey, I couldn't really understand this contract, they would have to give reason to prove that they didn't understand the contract. Like in the case of that lady, right, it was easy because she signed a contract in English and she didn't speak English, you know, like she didn't agree to that because she didn't know what she was signing, you know. I see. Uh, that one was an easy case to make for the lawyer, you know, but generally the party that's saying, I don't understand the contract, he would have to, he would hold the burden of proof to prove his, the fact that he's not liable, like he's not responsible for the title. What if- uh, similar to how, like, if you're like a, a killer, somebody that kills somebody, and they have mental issues, they have to prove their their insanity in order to not be to be treated as an insane person. You know. Okay. What if uh, I understood what I'm signing? I understood it was bad, but I didn't understand how bad it, it can possibly be, and, and and it's it's a bad contract. It's it's abusive. On that basis, can I go to court or not really? Yeah, I mean, you could take it to court. At the end of the day, you know, like Rothbard said this, and I don't know, some people don't like this, but at the end of the day, judges, what they do is they give an opinion, right? They see the facts of things that are happening, right? And they give an opi- their opinion on the cases of the matter, right? So you could take it to arbitration, and then uh, the judge would be the one that says, uh, yeah, this was fine, or no, no this wasn't fine. And at that point, it would depend on the society that you're living in, whether, you know, what, what, 
what kind of judge do you have you know like i don't think there is uh and and like a, a fully encompassing way to deal with arbitration of of contract because it deals with language and since language is something that is changing all the time and it it's 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 just very hard to you know manage it you know and have like a fully encompassing system of contract theory you know contract law you know what i mean okay okay well i i guess that's all the time you have Um, i have like two more minutes i don't know if you have any other questions i don't have a two minute question but uh thank you for connecting the dots a little bit for us so it's less theoretical and more more like practical a little bit Mm -hmm. and um and yeah i mean it's it's interesting it is it is interesting i mean i I, i'd prefer to keep it on this conceptual level to some degree uh, and not like the fine details but um but yeah it's uh, it's very helpful so thank you for coming on yeah man no no worries so uh people want to find me they can find me as robin the state um pretty much everywhere on all platforms like that uh generally i i try to i'm not going on debates right now um but generally what i try to do is bridge the gap of you know knowledge for people that are libertarians and the regular people on you know helping them understand how insurance could solve a lot of things that are term you know called in 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 economics as a market failure uh how insurance is already doing those things how it could do it even better i also like to talk a lot about contract law and stuff like that and i like to talk a lot about the practicality of anarcho-capitalism and how not only is a better system uh of governance but it's a very practical one and it could work better than all the current existing terms that we have i guess we should really talk more about the arbitration because uh, i think I mean, I'm I'm not promoting anchor, but I think the overlap between our two systems would be uh, voluntary arbitration. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, I'm currently working on writing something. Uh, where I'm tra- so I'm trying to make anarcho capitalism more understandable for normies. Okay. Uh, because a lot of people get stuck on the anarchy part because they have like a bad gut reaction to the word anarchy. So I'm trying to change the way that it's marketed mm-hmm. and that way if people want to call it a governing system it doesn't freaking matter because what matters is how it works not what you call it so <laughs> yeah i mean i i think um, i think from all the debates i've heard people get stuck pretty much on a loop on the political economy side uh yes and that is actually what i'm working on i am trying to write uh an essay and i'm probably gonna make a video on it where i explain how a democratic uh, state right it's a market but it's basically a market where you have one dollar that you can spend only once every four years and you cannot trade that dollar for anything else you can only use it to choose with the the people that are going to be in charge of government so it's I, a mark. I'm going to try to use market terms to explain that. Oh, democracy. Okay, got it. <clears throat> I understand. Um. Okay. Cool. So yeah, again, no worries. It will be more clear when I get to it. Yeah, I I actually um, 
not specifically political economy, but the issue of democracy, I, I do kind of like the way ANCAPs think about it to, to some degree. Um, because it questions it a little bit, and, and right now no one questions democracy. And a lot of time when I'm when I'm doing debates with other people, if you just sprinkle in democracy, people are like, oh my God, it's been ordained by God him God himself that this is the right approach because people vote him. That's not necessarily the case. So it's interesting at least that um, ANCAPs are putting some thought behind it. it, it from what I gathered. A lot of people, if you, if you push them on democracy, they're not going to say it's, it's very good, but they're just going to say it's better than all the other options. Yeah, uh, like I said, I got to go. <laughs> Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye.